I want to grow, give, create, and nurture. And you can welcome that in. So if you want that in your life, it's not about I'm, I'm open, I'm here, come pour into me. It's about how can I pour into others? If your relationship has lost its spark, there's no connection, there's no intimacy, your sex life is just not where you want it to be right now. And you want to get that passion back into your relationship, then this is going to be the episode for you as I will be joined by relationship expert, Matthew Hoffman. So guys, welcome to Unshakable Habits, the podcast dedicated to helping men prioritize your physical and mental well-being. I am your host, board-certified health and wellness coach, Stephen Vox. Guys, before we jump into today's episode, I do have a small favor to ask of you. If you could review or rate the podcast for us, there's links down below in the description, in the show notes where you can actually go on to Apple, Spotify, or Podchaser and leave us a rating or review. That is super helpful because a lot of times when people are looking for a new podcast to listen to, one of the first things that they're going to do is read what other people have to say. So if you enjoy the show, if you feel like you get a lot of value from listening to the podcast, I would greatly appreciate if you could just take out a couple of minutes to go and leave us a rating or review on one of those three sites. Are you ready to break free from your old habits and create a better life for yourself and those around you? If so, welcome to Unshakable Habits, the podcast dedicated to helping men be better husbands, fathers, and leaders by prioritizing their physical and mental well-being. Each week, we'll look at health from a 360-degree perspective with inspiring stories and practical strategies for building unshakable habits that'll transform your life. Join Stephen Box, a board-certified health and wellness coach, and let's change the world together, one habit at a time. All right, guys, welcome back to the show. I am joined today by Matthew Hoffman from Kick-Ass Couples Nation. So Matthew, welcome. Thanks, Stephen. Love being here. Yeah, so I'm excited about our conversation today because I think when we talk to most men, or at least I, I'm going to say when I talk to most men, the experience that I have is there's so much focus on... I need to be a provider. I need to make money. And that is the biggest priority in their life. And as a result of that, oftentimes they neglect their health. They neglect, they neglect their relationships. And they're not intentionally doing it. They just don't have the tools to really focus on those things because most of us have been taught how to focus on our careers. So I, I love the fact that you're going to be able to kind of help us with that relationship piece today and, and help men start to understand how do you not only build up those relationships, but how do you start getting more out of them? Absolutely, Stephen. You know, it's we have uh, just like women. I mean, men have a ton of responsibility, expectations, images that we think we're supposed to live up to. That society says, "Hey, this is if you're the ideal man. These are we got to look great, right? We got to make a lot of money. We've got to be able to uh, woo and romance the women, and be the great father, and be the t-ball coach, and 
there's a lot of expectations. And then within the relationships we're in, sometimes we don't know what those expectations are, or we're striving to meet them because we want to keep providing and showing up the way we're supposed to and expected. Yeah. So I, I want to kind of go back maybe to the beginning. And if you could just maybe share a little bit about your own personal story and, and how did you come to realize that this was such an important area? Well, I tell you what, after we've been, we're working on our 29th year of marriage right now. And uh, after 20 years, we had three kids, great house, good jobs. We were engaged in the community and giving back. But I tell you what, we were in the maintaining state. All relationships are thriving, like they're climbing that hill and looking great. They're maintaining or treading water or they're declining or sometimes even DOA. And we were just maintaining, Stephen. We were not building each other up. We were getting nasty with each other. Any chance we had an opportunity to get in there and get a dig and break the other one down, you know, that's what we were doing. And I think we looked at each other and said, you know, I'm not happy. Are you happy? I'm not happy. Yeah. And we said, something's got to change. And that's when we realized we had to double down. And man, we did so much to get the relationship back on track. And I think Stephen, with most people, it's a slow fade. It's not like there, there can be trauma, there can be infidelity, there can be a death in the family, something, you know, a job loss, there's things that can happen that are traumatic. But usually it's a slow fade, right? You know, it's just a little bit off course over a long period of time. And then eventually you go, hey, how did we get to be so far apart? Yeah, that's, I think that's true for so many different things in our lives, right? Where it's like, you, you start letting things slip a little bit and you feel like you're still in control. You feel like, oh, I can easily fix that. I can easily get back to that. And before you know it, those little one degree shifts have like completely taken you in a whole different direction. Yeah, yeah. It's hard. It, it creeps up on us. It's not always apparent until there's a problem. And then we realize and go, wait a minute, how'd this happen? Or um, it's not always written on the on the screen in front of us. That's for sure. Yeah. So what what was really the kind of the key moment for you? Was there just like this time where it clicked to you that you, you had to change something? I know you said that y'all kind of looked at each other, but was there like a key moment that made that happen for you? You know, I think that it was funny. There was a, it was a Saturday morning. Um, my wife had given me a honey to honey do list. Right. And, um, I was trying to get those things knocked out cause I wanted to go play and have fun on Saturday. And, um, she, one of the things she wanted me to do was hanging some outdoor lights. We were going to have a birthday party for my older daughter. She said, you know, I've got these led lights. I want them hung outside on the porch. And so, you know, it was on my list. I went and did it with my son, how I thought she wanted it. And I said, Hey, I hung the lights. You want to come out and see him? And she says, what do you mean you hung them? I said, well, it was on the list. You asked me to do it. So I'm doing it today. She goes, why didn't you come get me? There was a specific way I wanted, you know, and we got into this pretty big knockdown drag out fight, you know, screaming, yelling, my teenage son who was helping just kind of, you know, during the headlights, he kind of backed out of the room and said, I'm getting out of here. Right. And the fireworks yeah. went and, you know, we didn't talk to each other for a couple of days. And, yeah. and that was about, you know, it seemed right. Hey, it's just the lights. Well, it wasn't the lights. It was, you don't listen to me. You don't take my opinions. You know, you don't value me. You're not asking me what I want, what I need, yeah. you know, and you know, there was a lot of unmet needs. Needless to say, we weren't super close. We weren't real intimate. Um, the sexual relationship is not what either of us wanted. 
and a lot of frustration and some and some underlying anger and fear from stuff in each of our past that was just unresolved. Yeah. So as, as you started to kind of have some of these realizations, right? <clears throat> what what was it for you that really kind of helped you to start digging into it and start fixing things? Well, you know, I knew that I had a choice. I could either lean in and step up and take responsibility. It wasn't about pointing the finger and saying, you know, I'm a victim and you did this and it's your fault and I'm, I'm not complicit or I could, you know, turn away. And I, I wanted it to get back. You know, I courted my wife for a long time before we got married. Uh, I'm a hopeless romantic. I did so much stuff and still do to woo her, right? And court her and pursue her. And a lot of that had fallen off. And so you know, I said, you know what? I want to get back. I want that back because it was great. And, and uh, I knew I could do it. And, you know, we, it wasn't just one thing that we did. I mean, we got counseling, we did video courses, we read books, we listened to podcasts, we did stuff together, we did stuff independently. And I think it was that whole combination, you know, there's not one source that says, Hey, we're going to fix your relationship. And that's kind of why I got into kick-ass couples nation. I wanted there to be a place where couples and individuals could come get their needs met to get their relationship back to that hot rapid boil, you know, where they're loving life. It feels good. It's strong and they're content. And so that's kind of what brought me to where I am today. Yeah, I love the fact that you pointed out there that you had to take accountability for yourself first and foremost, right? Which I, I know for a lot of guys, you know, we want to have that burden on us, right? We want to be accountable for our own actions. And, and so I love the fact that you started that by saying, it started with me. I had to make a decision and you didn't say, Oh, I'm going to do this as long as my wife continues to react this way, as long as she yeah. starts doing this. It was really all about you. But at the same time, there's this acknowledgement that both parties had to come to the table and say, we need to work together to fix this. Yeah. Because in a relationship, yes, you are only responsible for yourself. You can't control what the other person does. But if both people aren't working towards that common goal, there's going to be a problem, right? No doubt. No doubt. You know, personal responsibility is huge. All the clients I work with in coaching and relationships, if there's commitment to change, like, and they each realize I'm, I got a role, I'm complicit. It's not about who's got more, who's got less or fault, but any change in life is not about, you know, you can point your finger at somebody, but there's always three pointing right back at you. It's not about what they've got to do. And most people that come in for counseling and therapy, he does this and she does that and they don't and I won't and he can't, right? It's all, and then you say, well, wait a minute, you know, hold on, hold on, hold on. What about you? Where are you? What, and you can only control what you do or think or say. And that's important, Stephen, because the whole idea of conditional love, right? A committed relationship is about unconditional love and unconditional acceptance. Yeah. I'm going to love you because it's who I am not because of who or what you are to me, right? It's a commitment, right? And if each person does that, there's no problem. But when one doesn't, and they make their love conditional, or they withhold, you know, withholding sex and relationships, that's a that's a scary weapon, right? Why should sex and intimacy be weaponized? And I'm not going to give it to you unless that's right. cruel. You know, it's like telling your kid, I know you're hungry. 
but I'm not going to give you food unless what you do something I want. When yeah. we put it in that context, it sounds cruel and horrible, right? Right. It's the same thing with holding anything from your partner that should be freely, lovingly, joyously given, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I think so often that in relationships, that game kind of starts to get played because people feel like they're being withheld from in other areas, right? So mm -hmm. a lot of times when women are, are holding out on sex, it's because they feel like you're not giving them the attention they need or you're not listening to them, right? And so then that's, oh, I'm going to respond this way. Well, then, you know, as the man, you start going, well, if she's not going to give me sex, then I'm not going to do X, Y, and Z. And then, you know, you, yeah. you just now have this vicious cycle where because there was no communication, you just are just basically trying to one-up each other in the wrong direction. Yeah. Yeah. It's a downward spiral, right? Like we're bringing out the worst in each other. And, you know, when you're talking about doing something for somebody or withholding, if your wife doesn't feel valued or heard or understood, that's the root of the intimacy and the sex. So, you know, there's six, there's, there's multiple kinds of intimacy. If you ask a guy, what's intimacy, they go, well, sex, right? Most men, and it is and can be, but for women, if they say intimacy, what's most important, they're going to say emotional connection and availability, right? Mm -hmm. Being heard, being understood, being valued. And men want to be heard, understood and valued as well. Like, Hey, you're, you're, I love what you're doing. You're capable. You can do it. I'm behind you. And women's needs are similar, but they're just a little different. So it's like, if we know how our partner wants or needs to be loved, we got to love them that way. We can't say, man, I don't want to do that, you know, because it's cruel. And if so, it's learning what they want and their needs are. And then man, doing a bang up job of supplying it. And the great sex and intimacy, Stephen, is a result of you doing your job well. It's the yeah. outcome. It, it, it's a natural outcome, and that's how you get there. Yeah, and I think for for a lot of guys, and we'll kind of back up and start going through some of these stages and stuff here in a second. But I just want to kind of keep with the the flow of what we're talking about here for a minute. Sure. I, I think for a lot of guys, there is this history of I've tried that, right? And when they say I tried that, it's very similar to I'm going to compare like when people try to lose weight and they eat healthy for like a week and they're like, well, I didn't lose 20 pounds. So I'm just that, that stuff doesn't work. Right. So it's like you listened to your wife for like a week or you did the dish just for three days in a row. And you're like, well, we didn't start having more sex. So clearly that stuff doesn't work. Yeah. Yeah. No, Benjamin Franklin has a great quote. He says, many strokes fell great oaks. You know, if you have a small hatchet, and you got to take down an oak tree. It's a lot of little strokes, right? Or in the relationship context, uh, there's a phrase that says small things often. It's not one thing. I did the dishes. I cleaned the house. I told her she looked pretty, right? Those are little things, but a lot of those over time consistently, you're making deposits in that emotional bank account. And when a woman feels that account is full, right? She feels great about giving, but when that account is low or even overdrawn, it's like, man, I don't have anything to give. I don't feel good about giving because it's going to deplete me more and I'm already depleted. Right. Yeah. And so I think what's what we have to understand, and this works for men as well. It's, it's the same concept, right? Men want to hear that mm -hmm. their partner believes in them. Right. Mm -hmm. And that they're behind them and that they appreciate what they do. My wife the other day said, man, 
you are working your tail off to make things happen. I just want to tell you, I'm, I'm grateful. I see it. You're not a slouch. You're not a slacker. I'm so glad I'm married to a guy that is such a go-getter and is really after it like you are, right? She didn't need to say that, but did it make me feel good? Heck yeah. My shoulders were back. My chin was up. And I'm like, she's recognizing what I'm doing. And that, you know, makes me feel good. Yeah. And I think so much of it is about intentionality, right? When we go into it with the mindset of, I'm going to start doing X, Y, and Z so that I can get this desired result. Things will backfire because what starts happening is, is human nature. We're all going to do it. We start taking shortcuts. We start trying to figure out little ways to make it look like we're putting in the work when we're not really putting in the work. Right. And the thing is people can sense when you're not being authentic. So when you are doing something strictly for the purpose of trying to get your spouse to have more sex with you, we'll say, for example, she may not sit back and say, he's just doing that to have more sex with me, but she can tell you're not being authentic. And when you're not being authentic, the connection is not going to be there, right? You're right. I mean, motive is huge, Stephen, with anything in life. I mean, you, that happens in work, like your, your, your partner or your office or your boss they know what your motive is. They can feel why you're, oh, he's just kiss. He's just sucking up to me, just kissing up or saying the right things, right? Or, oh my gosh, I didn't ask them to do this, but they're just doing it because they felt there was a need and they wanted to get it done. And, you know, there's the challenge in most relationships, Stephen, and where there's damage is there's conversations that need to happen and they haven't or they don't, or they won't. So we're talking about, you know, I, 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 I've had this conversation with my wife. We talk about our desires, our wants, and our needs about everything. Yeah. Finances, vacation, the kids, household duties, sex, intimacy. You know, not too long ago, I asked my wife this exact question. How would you like to be loved tonight? Mm. Right? It, it because it didn't want it to be about me. And she said, you know, I'll tell you. And she did. And so if we didn't have the conversation and I came in like, hey, this is what's going to happen. And she's coming in. I think, man, it would sure be nice if this happened. We don't know what each other's thinking or desires are. And both our needs go unmet because yeah. we didn't talk about it and apply that conversation really to anything in a relationship. Yeah. Finances raising the kids, um, you know, division of household duties, in-laws, yeah. where are we going? Where are we not going on what holiday? Right. Yeah. Um, it's just, you know, it's understanding those needs. And then as you said, working to meet them because you love them. You, I want to give my wife what she needs because I love her and I want her to be fulfilled and satisfied. And the better job I do of that for her, I'm empowering her to do it for me as well. And it's this, awesome dance, soul dance, right? Of, uh, of who can love each other better, not a competition, but we're both working at the same thing. I love the, uh, the, the way you're kind of phrasing that there, right? And it reminds me of this meme I saw on, on Facebook the other day, where it said, I'll never understand men who hire a dominatrix to insult them. Just fold the towels the wrong way, guys. And, <laughs> but, but I think what, one more time, <laughs> what, what, I, what I think it really kind of points to is 
you know, it's, yeah, it's, it's a joke. It's, you know, just meant to be funny, but at the same time, it points to kind of this deeper belief that I think a lot of people are walking around with, right. Which is that there's a certain way that I have to do things. And if I don't do them that way, I'm going to get in trouble. But to your point that you just made, the reason that most of us are living in that existence is because we've never stopped to take the time to actually say like, Hey, how would you like the towels folded? <laughs> right? Just, it's so, it's so simple. Like just the communication, just asking what the other person's expectations are, because yeah. do you really care how you fold the towels? I mean, yeah, you know, it's crazy. You know what, if it's important to them, yeah. it's important to you because you want to give them what they want and need. I'll give you a funny story, Stephen. I had an opportunity with my parents when I was in college to travel uh, Italy. We did a family vacation and we stayed in a chain of hotels and the chain of hotels had what was called double sheets, right? You have a lower sheet, a blank and a top sheet and they're linen and they iron them. I mean, you get in this bed and you're like, oh my gosh, right? You're moving around. This feels great. So when we got married and had a little more money, I said to my wife, I said, I want to have double sheet. She goes, what's that? And I said, and I told her the story, right? Mm -hmm. And so that's to me, it's like, you know, you get in bed, your own bed feels great. And then, and then as time went on, she said, you know, having that stupid extra sheets, a lot of extra work, it's more laundry, da, 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 da. I'm just going to stop doing it. And I said, what do you mean you're going to stop doing it? And I said, well, I said, I don't want to add extra work to you, but I'll tell you, it's important to me. If there's something else you want me to do or to contribute or is something I can do to make your life easier in another way, I would, cause I don't, I do some laundry, but she leads the charge. She's very specific and she does a great job of it as one of her division of duties. But that was a thing she was willing to throw away because she saw it as it's stupid, it's extra work and who needs it, right? Mm -hmm. But it meant something to me. And until we had that conversation about it, she's like, oh yeah, okay, I get it. That's fair right? We all have our preferences of what we want. And some of them are silly. But when we're willing, even on the little things to give, it makes a difference. Because I mean, so when I when I get in bed at night, I'm like, Oh, you know, this feels great. And I love it. And I'm happy. And she contributes to that. And, and I do other things for her. There are things that she and loading the dishwasher, let me tell you what, I don't know if you knew this, Stephen, but there's a right way to load it and a not right way to load the dishwasher. So uh, I've had to learn, um, you know, because it matters to her and not yeah. me, but is it does it matter which way I do it? Not really. So yeah. it's a little thing. So I'm not getting hung up on it. Yeah. Uh, early in my my relationship with my wife, we actually came to an agreement that if one of us did something and it wasn't a big deal to us, but it was a big deal to the other person, we would stop doing it. Yeah, no yep. doubt. So, so one thing you just kind of touched on there, and and I want I want to have you maybe kind of dive into this a little bit, right? Is you talked about the communication and how important it is to be able to voice when you're not happy about something, or voice when something is important to you. But I do feel like there there's two places in which these conversations exist. There's healthy relationships. And there's unhealthy relationships, mm -hmm. right? And I think a lot of times when people attempt to have these conversations in an unhealthy relationship because they haven't sorted through everything yet, they're just, they're doing their best. They're trying to have these conversations. These things can go kind of the wrong way, right? Because we, we react not 
out of sincerity, but more out of emotion. Uh, so can you kind of maybe touch on that a little bit about how important it is, like where this step comes in, like the communication versus kind of getting some of the other junk fixed? Like where, where does that all kind of fall in place? Yeah, well, this harsh reality, Stephen, this is a statistic and it was proven by the Gottman Institute. Two thirds of all relationship issues are perpetual, meaning Two thirds of the things that you're arguing about or discussing or having differences of opinion, you're not going to resolve. You go, holy cow, what do we do then? Well, you got to find understanding. And that means I need to know, here's a great question. So if you're having a discussion with your partner, your spouse about something, and there's a difference of opinion. One question you can, one thing you can say is help me understand why this is so important to you, right? Oh, because when I was growing up, my dad always did this and it got me angry. So when you do that, it triggers me and reminds me of my dad screaming or hitting whatever it was. And I don't want to go back to that. Right. That's very different than she just doesn't want you to do something because yeah. there's a trigger behind it. So why is this most important to you? And it's understanding what's the dream within the conflict when you're communicating like what? Here's another good question what would the ideal outcome look like to you? Yeah. Because maybe you're totally cool with it. Maybe she yeah. just wants X, Y, and Z. And you're like, well, that makes sense to me. Right. Yeah. And I don't mind doing that. So communication, when you're talking to your partner, if there's issues to be discussed, one, there's an acronym we talk about. It's called HALT. If either of you are hungry, angry, lonely, or tired, it's not the right time for the conversation. Right. For me, 10.30 at night, when I get up at 10 to 5, not the time for me to have a deep conversation about emotional needs with my wife or about anything important for that matter. I'm not there. Or I get hangry, right? I eat a lot. And if I, I'm only eating twice a day. So when I eat, missing it by 30, 40 minutes an hour, man, I don't, I'm not listening. I'm like, I need food, right? Yeah. So you got to meet the physiological needs first. And you want to do it at a time that's good for your partner. If you have young kids and the kids are screaming and they're upset and they just had a fight and it's dinner time or the homework's not done, right? And the dog has to be walked in their soccer practice and you're, you know, that's not the time to jump into a conversation because it's important to you. Another great thing is say, hey, babe, there's something I'd like to talk to you about. When would be the best time for us just to have a few minutes to sit down and have a face-to-face? -face? What's yeah. the best time for you? Oh, I, I'll make time right now. Ooh, you know what? It's crazy right now. How about this evening? Or I have a little time after I take the kids to school in the morning. Could we do it then? Right? You've set the expectation and also you're creating the ideal environment to have if it's a sensitive conversation. Yeah. But Stephen, the other side of communication is it's got to happen all the time. It's good communication is a lot. It's touch points. It's text. It's emails. It's notes on the counter or a voice memo or a quick phone call in the middle of the day. Hey, sweetie, just checking in. You know, we talked about this. Is that still going to happen? Or even how is your day? Going? No purpose in mind. I don't need anything from you. I just wanted to hear your voice. Right. Yeah. If you're working outside the home and, you know, and flirting. Yeah. Communication, words, notes. Are you still flirting with your spouse? Mm -hmm. Texts, emojis, memes, right? I mean, all all that's part of communication. It's not just, you know, men think communication is get the information, take the action, we're good. Yeah. Right? But, it, you know, uh, and and by the way, there's a myth that women use, you know, two or three times as many words as men. It's not true. 
um, you know, women may like to talk more in general. That could be true than men do. Um, and men maybe are more quiet or stalwart, but you know, women want, and they crave that connection. It's really about connection. So if you think of communication as an opportunity to connect with your partner, then how well are you connecting with your partner? That's the important part. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a really great point because so many times, you know, as, as men, we see ourselves as problem solvers, right? Mm -hmm. So it's, Yes, like you said, I need to get the information because there's a problem. Something's not right. I need to fix it. I just need the information, figure out what the, the steps are, and then I can fix it. And we're, we're, we're sitting here telling you guys that the information that you need is in the, the steps, right? You have to take the steps to get the information, which is kind of the opposite of what most of us have learned to do, right? We, we get the information, then we figure out the steps. The step is that you actually ask questions, that you communicate, you talk to your spouse, you figure out what it is that's important to them. That's right. the information that you need. Then once you have that information, now you can figure out what the other steps are, but you've got to take that first step of getting that information, right? It's not, it's not just a simple matter of, let me take what I think needs to be done and go do it. Yeah. I think, Stephen, what you're alluding to reminds me of the term emotional availability, right? Yeah. Our partners want us to be emotionally available. That means willing to go there. I'm working with a couple right now, and the woman says about the guy, he doesn't want to share much about his history, emotions, and what he challenged with. And he's just thinking, you know, I'm just trying to be efficient and get things done. And she's saying to be intimate more. I got to have a better connection with you. You got to share. You got to go deep and let me in. And it yeah. hasn't been expedient or desirous for him. And I think he had the realization, what I'm hearing is that I need to be more emotional. It doesn't mean crazy and, and, and uh, out of control, but it means willing to share things that you feel. Yeah. Which may not, may not make sense, might not cast you... Uh, in a great light, you think, but you're being vulnerable and women crave vulnerability in yeah. their man because that's how they connect. That's how they relate. So all you're doing is meeting their needs by digging deep and bringing it out. Yeah. So let's actually touch on that for a second, because I think a lot of men, when we start talking about these things, maybe get the mental picture of they're supposed to be lying on the couch, you know, with their head on their wife's shoulder, bawling their eyes out, talking about some trauma from when they were seven years old, right? And that's not right. what we're talking about here at all. So no, no, so it's not like yeah. it's what this looks like. Yeah, really. I mean, think of when I think of some of the mentors and the strongest men and people I look at, it's men who are in touch with their emotions and their selves, and they're willing it, it's really about bearing your soul is what it is. And it's your deep, do you share, and this is about his on that communication thing again, it's on commitment. Do you know your partner's deepest dreams, desires, and fears? Like, have you ever asked your partner or your spouse the question, what are you most afraid of? I asked my wife that question. You know what she told me? She said, of dying before my kids get married and have kids and I see their lives. She goes, of missing out on their lives. It's my, or she said, or you predeceasing me 
and I don't get to share that life with you. That was a fear of hers. And we had to talk about that and it helped me better understand. And I shared my fears, yeah, of not being around, you know, or, or of, of, of not, you know, or being alone, right? And not, it's, it's similar. We had some similar fears or, you know, not being enough, you know, not, not giving her, loving her, my children, my grandchildren, not being able to do enough to set them up for success. It's one of my fears, right? But we had the conversation and I'm not weak because of that. She's looking at me and going, wow, he was real. He's willing to share. And I'm also modeling that behavior to my kids. So they're looking at my wife and I and going, that's what a good relationship looks like. And both my kids that are older and one's 25 and three, our oldest, they're in serious relationships. And so we're modeling to them what we think a solid relationship looks like because we want them to have that standard in their own lives. Yeah. Yeah. I think that there's maybe this other issue that pops up for a lot of men, right? Where um, I alluded to kind of at the beginning where most of us have been taught that our primary value is being a provider financially and being a protector, right? And so I think for some guys, it's easy to sell them on the idea of getting healthy because they can see themselves as a protector. Okay, I need I need to improve my health so I can be a protector. Or when we start talking to them about you need to work on your health so that you can continue to work, so that you can continue to provide financially. I think those are easy sales for a lot of guys because it's very practical, it's logical, it makes sense, right? But when we start talking about the importance of prioritizing your relationship, I think this is where a lot of men start to get in trouble because they see their only value in the relationship, what they bring financially. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's an important element. Being a provider is a huge responsibility and it carries a lot of weight and a lot of, you know, focus and attention that's required for that. But one of the things I talk about all the time at Kick-Ass Couples Nation in our coaching is your partner, your spouse needs to be your most important human relationship. I'm not talking divine. You know, that's, that's first. My wife knows that in, and I'm, I come from a Christian faith and my commitment to God is first and she's second and I'm third and she would make the same claim. So we're in alignment on that. But after that spiritual and soulful connection, there is no other person more important or first place than her, not our kids, not my parents, my family of origin, not my siblings, not a friend, not any other family member, no one. I mean, I love my kids, but they're not first. Yeah. This is not a kid-centered relationship. It's a wife because our healthy relationship will do more for them than if it's great and strong. And yes, we love them and we take care of them. We don't neglect them. But what are you putting in front of your partner, your spouse? Is it your work? Is it your workout? Is it alcohol or pornography? That's a pernicious, yeah. whole nother topic and slope right there. Yep. Um is it, you know, is it gambling? Is it your mom? Because you, man, no, no, my mom was there way before you and she's, you know, and she's first, right? There's yeah. all kinds of things we can put first. And it, it the danger is that um, when that person knows they're not a priority or they're not on your thought first, then, well, why should I be there for them? Right? Nope. I mean, and you, as we talked earlier about that slippery yeah. slope and that downward spiral. Yeah, and I think you, you really kind of highlighted there something that 
doesn't get talked about enough these days is I'm not sure exactly when this started happening, but at some point our society decided that children were the most important people in the house. Mm-hmm. And I've, I don't have any kids myself, so I don't normally talk too much about this, but it's something that I've observed in, in a lot of my friends where if they're not happy in their relationship, it's always, or at least it seems to me from the outside, from what they share, that it seems like always one of the biggest sources of stress is the kids. Because they're so busy prioritizing the kids. I got to take the kids to this practice. I got to take them to this. I got to get them enrolled in this. We got to get them in this school. We got to do this. And their entire life becomes so much about the kids that they completely neglect each other. Yeah. Yeah. What are you you teaching your kids other than to neglect their spouse in the future and make their kids more important? At what point are are you really doing your kids any good there, right? And, And I love the fact that you pointed out you're modeling for your kids right now. Yeah. My wife and I did a parenting class together back in the days of cassette tapes and VHS, right? And workbooks that we wrote in. Yeah. Uh, and, we, you know, and in the course, it came through with an idea that we I loved. And it's the children are a welcome addition to the home. Yeah. They're not the center of the home. Yeah. And when you make the kids the center of the home, a lot of couples, when the kids go off to school and they're empty nest, it happened to my parents. My parents got divorced after 26 years of marriage because yeah. I went to college my dad was sitting across the dinner table from my mom and he goes, kids are gone, you and me, and our relationship sucks because it was a child-focused relationship out of necessity or out of fear because they didn't want to face the issues they had between them. And a lot of couples go through that. They're like, shoot, it's just the two of us now. How do we do this, right? How, yeah. Uh, all my days with you, you know, and uh, how are we going to handle it? And if you haven't been doing, having the date nights and being intimate and having the great communication and having the connection and investing in it, it's not going to just magically happen because there's no kids in the picture. Yeah. You may not know this off the top of your head, but if if you do, uh, I'm kind of be curious to hear it. What is the, the numbers on divorces after the kids leave the house are, are they are they higher at that point you know i mean the divorce statistic in general i don't know if you knew this is 50 yes. percent one in two relationships fail and the average tenure of the first relationship is seven years and then if you go to second and third relationships the divorce rate gets higher and higher so it doesn't get better if you're hopping because you think oh i was just in the wrong relationship not that second relationships can't continue. So I think one of the points that you talked about is the empty nest syndrome. And I think more divorces happen in that. Another is we're married and we have kids and we're five to seven to eight. I don't know if you, you know, in having kids when they're in the, in, there's kind of the elementary school, like the third, fourth and fifth grade. That's a huge push point because it's kind of like, holy cow. Yeah. I got six, seven, eight, nine year olds working and man this is not what i thought it was going to be the stressors of work and mm-hmm. kids and relationship and everything is right there and if they can't deal with it and figure it out that's a huge ejection point right yeah. because uh and and you know so that's one of them and another one as you indicated is kids are gone it's just the two of us if the yeah. great behaviors and habits haven't been there now a huge time suck and distractors gone now you got more time. And if you don't know what to do with it, how to face it, 
you're not equipped, you're not planning, mm-hmm. it can be a real choking point as well. Yeah, I think also there there's an identity issue here, right? Where when you make everything about the kids, that becomes your identity. You're a parent, right? That is your entire existence. And yeah. so when they're gone and it's just you and your spouse, you're still a parent, but that's no longer your primary thing because it's not part of the daily routine anymore. Now, all of a sudden, you reverted back to you're the spouse and you haven't been doing spouse things for years. Yeah, It's difficult at that point to just go, you know what, let's just jump right back to where we were before we had kids. It's not easy because of life stages. I mean, you know, talk about, uh, you know, as women get older, you know, you hormone changes, not just for women, guys. I mean, hormones level change. You got menopause. You've got cancer issues, you've got hysterectomies, you know, you've got mastectomies, guys, testosterone changes, weight changes, libido, motivation, interest. I know, guys, if you say, hey, as you get older, your sex interest is going to wane, it's just a cold, hard fact. Um, Not that people in their 70s and 80s aren't doing it because they are, but it, you know, it's not like you were 25 or 28 when you're in your 50s, 60s, and 70s. It changes. You know, but you could still be intimate and have a lot of fun. So there are those changes that happen and figuring out it's not just one issue. Like, okay, the kids are gone. Everything else is the same now. What have we been doing? How have we been feeding and tending the relationship? And don't forget, your wife is a wife. She's Mm -hmm. a mother. She's a daughter. She's a best friend. She's a sibling. Think of all the roles, Mm -hmm. right, that they have. You want to make sure your partner and for yourself as well, you want them to, you right? And you talked about, you know, losing weight and staying in shape, Stephen. Being physically um, responsible is an important area. If you neglect your physicality, your spirituality, your emotional condition, your intimate connection, right? Anything you neglect, it, it it's out of shape. It's, yeah. it's not in good, you know, it's not going to respond the way you want. It's not going to give you what you need if you're not working and focused on it in the right way. Yeah. I mean, and that just kind of ties into, you know, I always talk about this idea of connected health where we're looking at the physical, we're looking at the mental, the emotional, the relationships, our environments, our spiritual connection, you know, our, our connection to something bigger than us and, and all of those areas have to be taken care of. Now, the, the good news is we can strengthen every last one of those by focusing on one, but it's a matter of they all need some attention, right? We can't just neglect any of them. And I think for so many of us, the daily grind starts to wear on us. And a mm-hmm. huge part of the reason why the daily grind wears us so much is because we're lacking that connection in our relationships that you talked about earlier. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's your relationship should be the oasis, right? When you come home, your home should be the retreat. It should be the, the relationships, the safe place where you go back and you get recharged mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually, sexually, where all those needs doesn't mean you're looking to the relationship saying it's got to give me everything I need. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying you can build the relationship so that 
there's so much good. Kim and I have this concept in our in our podcast, Kick-Ass Couples podcast called Overflow Thinking. And mm-hmm. I believe that your relationship can have so much good in it, it's overflowing. And it's going to overflow who? To the rest of your family, to your yeah. kid's school, to your community, to your neighbors, to your church. There's going to be so much good because you're pouring in. You should be pouring in so much to your partner and your spouse that they can't contain it. And it's going to allow them to fill and overflow and everything else. And that's a beautiful thing when it happens. So that's what the relationship can be and should be. Yeah. And, you know, something I think that we don't talk about enough as men is we tend to think or or be taught by society that it's about what we get. But the more that we give, the more that we feel fulfilled. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there is a physiological response when you give the endorphins and the chemicals that are released in your body. It's, it's not the same as sex, but you, you can be incredibly satisfied and feel that a little bit of euphoric feeling when you give. And, you know, it's based on a biblical term is, you know, seek your own and another's good. Yeah. And, you know, it's kind of like the more you give, the more fit you are to receive. Because your mentality is, I want to help give, grow, create, and nurture. So guess what that attracts? It attracts other people and other things that want to grow, give, create, and nurture. And you can welcome that in. So if you want that in your life, it's not about, I'm, I'm open, I'm here, come pour into me. It's yeah. about, how can I pour into others? Yeah. And, um, you know, and that's really what that relationship should look like. That's the, that's the relationship nirvana, right? We all want. You, you talked about it earlier, right? Where it's like, at the end of the day, you are responsible for your own actions, but you're not doing them because the other person said to, or because they asked you to do it. You're doing it because of who you are. Yeah. And, and, and I think you just tie it back to that beautifully. Yeah. Thank you. No, I, I agree with that. And it's, and it's fun to see, I love to catch my wife doing stuff right. And then, you know, back to that communication piece and speaking it. Hey, when you did this with our son, I, the conversation you just had with that neighbor, the way you relayed that to our daughter, right? Whatever it is, I'm recognizing it. I'm speaking it because when you don't give the compliments and the appreciation and the gratitude, I liken it to having money in your pocket, but starving because you can't buy food. It's yeah. like, you know what? It's a wasted currency. You're not sp- spend that currency of gratitude and of praise and of recognition because you're, you, you're going to get more. You're not going to run out of it. You don't got to hoard it and hold on to it. But uh, that's what our partners need to see us and feel. And it makes it creates the culture, right? There's a culture of communication. There's a culture of gratitude, a culture of giving. And when you're in that culture, my parents modeled that for me. I yeah. learned philanthropy from my parents and I grew up doing it and we do it to, to the level of our ability. It's not yeah. thousands and millions, right? But right. we give to what we can give and we stretch ourselves because it is the culture that was created. So the question yeah. I'd ask back is what kind of culture are you creating in that relationship? Yeah. Is it giving, giving, loving, supporting, overflowing, or is it conditional and based on what you get? Yeah. And I'll share um, 
quick story here is I remember years and years ago, I, I wish I could remember the book. It might've been the, the one minute salesperson, but I don't remember for sure. But this was like early in my career in sales. And it talked about how if you're not careful in a sales process, you will put yourself in a position where the customer will give you a compliment, right? Because compliments are free and it doesn't cost them anything to give you a compliment. And therefore they've now fulfilled their obligation because you gave them something, they're giving you something back, right? And I, I point this out because I think it's a good reminder, not, not because we're talking about sales, but because it's that reminder that compliments are free, right? It's taking that moment to actually communicate those things like you just pointed out to your spouse. It costs you absolutely nothing. It's the easiest thing you can do. It's like the most practical first step that anybody can take. Yeah. What do you appreciate about them? What do you, what do you, uh, you know, we've, we've got a thing called the greatest gift challenge. And uh, it's behind me in a frame on my desk, even. And I did this for my wife when she was doing a work project, and I was off kind of at a retreat having fun with old camp friends in a summertime. And um, I wrote down in a text, I said, These are the 10 things I love and appreciate about you most. And I sent her this long text, right? Mm -hmm. She was busy working on the trees, hauling and cutting, you know, struggling without me there. I felt a lot of guilt. But she called me later and she said, that's one of the nicest gifts you've ever given me. And she goes, made me cry, right? And then she did it for me and I have it framed on my desk. Whenever I need a little boost or a pep, I go back and I read it. And what a gift. What did it cost her? A few minutes just to write some ideas down on paper. And uh, But man, the impact is, is huge. Yeah. I, I love that too because having a gift like that i'm sure also allows you to occasionally kind of look at that list and check in and go am i still being that man am i doing those things am i still doing the things that my wife loves the most about me yeah absolutely accountability so so matthew i know you have quite a few pillars that, that you that you talk about in the uh the kick-ass nation let's make this super practical for people though uh, Okay. Where if someone's, well, first of all, let's actually take one step back here. Let's talk about what are the different phases of relationships. And then let's maybe, you know, kind of talk about what is the first step to take, depending on what phase you're in. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of different stages. The first one is kind of that rom rom romance and fantasy, right? Of, you know, you're starry eyed and like, oh, I'm in love and isn't this great, right? Then there's the reality phase where like, okay, wait a minute, you know, this is work and it's not always wonderful. Then there's the power struggle, like, wait a minute, who's in control? Who's leading this train? I'm the captain. No, I am, right? Yeah. Then there's the compromise where you're figuring it out, okay, how are we going to do this dance? Mm -hmm. And then there's acceptance, right? And then after that last acceptance, there's the incredible growth because you've figured out the dance, got an agreement you know, and you figured out as a team, not I, not you, but us. Yeah. And so I think I always tell couples where to start, you know, the foundation, we have 14 pillars, the three C's are the most important. We call those commitment, communication and conflict resolution. We talked a lot about communication today, but commitment, Stephen's kind of the cornerstone, right? When they're building a building, they put one stone down in the corner, that's a right angle. 
and everything else keys off of that. So if you have commitment and commitment means this is my journey for life, Mm -hmm. whatever comes, I don't care. Or no plan B is another way of saying it, right? No open doors and windows. I don't like this. I can dive out a window. I can hit eject, right? Yeah. So what does commitment look like in the relationship? Have you sat down words and phrases? Have you shared with your partner? What do you think it is? What do they think it is? And are you on the same page about what commitment looks like? Because yeah. if you are, it's a great launching point. But if you're, if it's cloudy and, and, and hazy and not quite clear, you got to get clarity on what commitment looks like, because then what, if you don't know what it looks like, how can you meet the expectation? Yeah, you can't, you know, so it's, you know, people get separated, divorced and break up because of conversations that they should have had that never happened. Yeah. Having that conversation about commitment, what does it look like for you, for me understanding? And then what are we going to do? Let's form our own code or agreement about what commitment looks like for our relationship, then you've got it right then how well we living up to this standard, this contract that we just came up with? Yeah, are we doing it? And then instead of me saying, Hey, you're not towing the line, I can say, Do you feel like we're demonstrating what we agreed upon right here? This thing, this agreement, this commitment? And it's impersonal, but it's a standard. And, and that's where I would start. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's really good. Because what I teach people when it comes to like creating healthy habits is this system of everything starts with a vision, right? You got to have, have clarity on what the picture looks like. And then taking a step back and asking yourself, what are the behaviors that someone living that life have? Hmm. And how do I start taking those behaviors and making them who I am today so that I can start right. becoming that vision? And when we're talking about our relationship, you can't have your vision and she have her vision. You have to have a vision together. And that really, I kind of think, you know, speaks to what you just said about it's that commitment. You both have this common vision that you're working toward, but if you don't have the communication piece, if you're not communicating it to each other, then how do you know if you're working toward it? Yeah. I use a phrase, I, you, and us. Before you get married, it's I and you, right? Once you're married, it's us. So you have to say every decision we make, is it a win for the us? Because if it is, we both benefit. But if it's good for me and not you, then it's not a good decision because we don't want to make a lot of decisions in our relationship that bring one forward and hold one back because that's that's a recipe for disaster. Yeah. So, so Matthew, if someone out there right now is maybe in that stage where the relationship is just maintaining or maybe it's even starting to decline and they're thinking to themselves man there's there's a lot of value you guys gave me today i'm i've got some stuff i think i have have a direction where to go but i have no clue how to actually start doing it uh what's the best way for them to get in touch with you and and work with you absolutely you can go to matthew P Hoffman.com is my website, two T's, two F's with a P in the middle, MatthewPHoffman.com. And we have something called a free relationship assessment. I would love anybody listening today that's saying, you know what, I got obstacles, and I got pain points, and man, I don't know how to get around them. 
but they're in the way of me having my best relationship. I'd love to talk to you. You can schedule a free call and uh, matthewphoffman.com. It pops up right when you go there. And I'd love to schedule a call to talk to you to understand and see if I can help you. Awesome. And of course, you also have your podcast uh, that people can also check out that you co-host with your wife, if I'm uh, not mistaken. Yeah, the Kick-Ass Couples podcast. We just celebrated our 100th episode. So we're learning a lot and growing and having some wonderful episodes. We talk to people who are masters of relationship and say, how do you do it? What do you do? And how do you overcome challenges when you face them? And we share the pearls that come out of that. And then we also do special episodes for issues that people want to learn more about. And we get panel discussions going and have a lot of fun too. Yeah, awesome. Well, Matthew, I really appreciate you uh, taking the time to come on today, uh, share your story, share your, your insights here. Is there any final thoughts that you would like to leave people with? You know, uh, that we, we, we sign off a lot with a thought that happily ever after doesn't just happen. It's on purpose. So if you can be intentional and have the conversations, create the space. If you want a better relationship, doesn't matter what quality you think needs to improve. Having greater bonding, greater connection is going to bring you closer together and allow you to improve in those areas. And that happens from time together and having those conversations, having those discussions, you know, and dating your wife. Love it. And, and, and guys, as always, I'm just going to go ahead and remind you here, whether it's your health, whether it's your relationships, no matter what area of our lives it is. None of us are born unshakable, but we can all become unshakable. Thank you for listening to the Unshakable Habits podcast with Coach Stephen Box. Be sure to hit the subscribe button and help us spread the word by sharing the podcast with other men. If you're ready to create unshakable habits, you can learn more and connect with us at unshakablehabits.com.